three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Mighty Morphin story arcs on the television show, The Mutiny and the Wedding, is the host of the Four Comic Junkies podcast, J.J. Hodges. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to be here because I don't really get to talk Power Rangers, even in my private life, that much. So, <laughs> so this is exciting. Yeah, I'm glad that we can compare notes. We'll talk about your Power Rangers fan journey. And of course, we'll talk about this pair of three-parters, the Mutiny and the Wedding, that in, in a lot of ways sort of bookend season two of Mighty Morphin. The Mutiny is the beginning of season two. The Wedding is not the very end of season two, but it's towards the end. And right. I think these two arcs pair together very nicely. Uh, between these two stories, we get we get a lot of movement, a lot of development, a lot of new elements in the show. We have the introduction of Lord Zed, an original to the American show. Uh, yep. the, the ousting of Rita Repulsa. We get new putties. We get new Zords. We get helmetless rangers for the first time on the show, and we get a lot of it in that first arc. Later on, we'll yeah. have the return of Rita, the wedding of Rita and Zed. There, there's a lot to unpack in this pair of two-parters. And we were just talking off mic, but you're here for this. You had reached out and uh, over Twitter, and you were like, hey, like these, you singled out these, uh, this run of episodes in particular. So maybe that's a good place to start. What was it about about these episodes, these storylines in particular, that that really sparked your interest? If uh, if no other Power Rangers stories stuck with me, these ones did. Uh, like especially the mutiny, which I'm sure we'll go into. That being, it, it was prime time premiere. Uh, that was and that was a big deal. So it's like instead of you know I, I'm slightly exaggerating. So it's like instead of watching Home Improvement tonight or Family Matters, we're going to watch Power Rangers. So that was kind of cool. And even the the wedding, the idea of as silly as it sounds, like the all the monsters being there, a lot of them coming back, I just thought was the coolest thing, you know. Because you know, you being uh, us being Superman fans or comic book fans, you know, I I gobble that up when there's like team ups with not just the heroes but the villains too, you know. I just think that's that's so cool and just you know, it, I, I don't know, it, it, it's it, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited just thinking about it because it's this. It, it's so much fun to revisit all that and go, man, like that was, that was so much fun seeing like I guy again and the, and the bee monster and um, you know, uh, a couple of the other ones I, you know, like the main two that are escaping my, <laughs> my brain right now, you know, the bird thing and then the uh, armadillo one. Um, I'm sure they have names, but it doesn't matter. They're monsters. Who cares? Um, <laughs> but yeah, but all that was just so cool to see. And uh it's the stuff that, like, as a comic book fan, you, you gobble that up, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you mentioned the primetime airing of The Mutiny. So it aired on July 21st, July 29th, and August 5th, 1994. I wish I wish I could get on here and be like, I remember exactly where I was when I was watching those episodes. I have such a vivid memory. I don't. I, I have at least a vague memory of watching it at night, and I... And I, I must have, like, I must have, because I was all about this show. 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't get enough. And so the idea of it airing in prime time, it's like, I'm, I'm sure I watched it. And I, like I said, I have at least the vaguest memory of it. I, I don't remember it as specific. Like, do you have a clearer memory of that moment of watching it at night? Not really as much as I just remember it being, um, <laughs> we had two TVs, we had one upstairs and one downstairs. And I remember, I think my dad being like, well, I'm watching something upstairs, so you can watch it downstairs. <laughs> like, I was allowed to stay up late that night or something like that, you know. Um, but I don't fully remember. I just remember that aspect of it. And and I don't – and it wasn't even like, like it is nowadays or even not that long after where, you know, it, it's, it's like, oh, all this information is given to us so we know when to watch the new episode of, you know, whatever we're watching – a totally different world now with streaming but um but i remember my i think it was my sister that said oh did you know that power rangers is on tv tonight and and that got me excited like oh it's on tonight like you know that's so cool as opposed to being a, a after school thing you know it, it made it, it was like the biggest difference in the world to my you know seven-year-old brain <laughs> right right so we were exactly the same age at the time. So that mm. <laughs> at least in part explains our shared love of, of the show generally and this era in particular. <laughs> I mean, season two was huge. In addition to everything that we got out of these arcs alone, this season also gave us the return of Tommy as the White Ranger. And it also gave mm-hmm. us Rocky, Adam, and Aisha taking the place of Jason, Trini, and Zach. So a ton of movement in this season. You know, I, I look yeah. at that entire Mighty Morphin era, those three seasons with a lot of love. Uh, but as I'm revisiting a lot of this with adult eyes and trying to put it in context and think about how I took it in the first time. Yeah. I think this season was, was really a pivotal one and and beginning right off the bat with, with the mutiny, with this revelation that Rita's not at the top of the villain heap, right? There's someone above her. So they're on the moon base and all of a sudden lightning and thunder and Goldar of course is the first one to be like, it must be Lord Zed. The true emperor has returned. And you know, Zed makes this appears as this like vision uh, in, in you know in space, and that's the first glimpse that we get of him. And then a little a little while later, in that throne room, we have, I mean, one of the most badass, memorable entrances I, I would say in the entire series, yeah. where the throne, the throne materializes, and you see the Z, and he turns around, and you see that red hide, and the tubes, and the snake all over him that turns into his staff. I mean, the the metal, yeah. you know, the grate over his mouth. It, it's it's an imposing standout visual. And like I said, original to this show, you know, this was not an instance of them repurposing a Japanese character or Japanese footage. This was the show creating their own villain. Yeah. In It's funny because I don't, I don't remember this being a thing at the time, but in hearing and reading about Power Rangers, you know, now looking back, I guess it was an issue that kids were scared of Zed, like, do you do you remember being scared? Do you remember friends of yours talking about being scared? Because I don't really have like a memory of this, but apparently it was a thing. I guess I, I don't remember being scared of him as much as I just thought, you know, I, I, that he just looked awesome. Like he looks evil, and and that was my my only thought process. I just thought, oh, like, like he sounds scary. He looks scary. You know, he just. And even to this day, I kind of maintain that, that he's still one of the scarier looking of, of you know, the Power Ranger villains. Um, and, you know, in that entrance is, you know, I am Lord Zed, emperor of all I see. It's just like, we're in trouble, you know? <laughs> um, and I, so no, I, 
I, I don't, but I, you know, to the other point, I don't remember anybody I knew ever saying that they were scared of him or anything like that. Um, like if anything, you know, I, I don't know. I thought Goldar in the first season was, was scary, you know? <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was probably parents who were like, Oh, our kids are scared of this or something like that. I, Cause yeah. I mean, like, same, same here. I don't, I don't remember being scared of Zed and you know, this was a point in time where I guess my first grade, I guess I was in or second at this point. I, but like uh, there were still a lot of kids in, the, in my class who were watching power Rangers. I don't ever remember that being a thing. You know, I think we were just all excited and yeah, you know, I, like to the show's credit, you know, this mixed things up, right? We had dozens of episodes with Rita as the main antagonist. We had a well-established formula here and it's not just, you know, eventually, yes, she and Zed will work together, but you know, for, most of season two, Rita's off the board. So, yeah. you know, this was kind of a, a big swing. And and again, even more so that they weren't taking an established character from the Super Sentai series, that they were, you know, coming up with something on their own. So I think it was a big swing, but man, it paid off. I I, I would imagine anyone, you know, in our age group and, and just Power Rangers fans generally, if you if you ask them for, you know, the favorite villains, you know, from, from the entire franchise, I feel like Lord Zed would be up there very effective. I mean, do you, I guess it's the, the combination of the visual and that, that Rob Axelrod voice. I mean, it just really yeah. created an effect, right? And, and, uh, the music too, just, you know, um, it's funny cause I, I'm sure we'll get into it. I, I realized this rewatching it, that how much the music plays a part in the show, um, which, you know, I realized as a kid, but didn't really think about but one thing I did realize slightly off topic was I was like, you know what? Bulk and Skull don't bother me. Their music bothers me. It makes them so much worse because I, f- I could find them more tolerable if that music wasn't there versus Lord Zed, where I think the music enhances, you know, his presence and everything. And it just sounds like, a, I don't know, like a, like a symphony, you know, and I, I, I didn't there used to be lyrics. I feel like there were lyrics where it was like, Lord, Zed. Like I maybe I'm misremembering, but I swear to God, I, I, you know, that, that was a part of it at one point. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't remember offhand, but, but to your point about the music, generally the music really, really sells a lot. And I've, I've particularly enjoyed the, uh, the green Ranger and white Ranger specific pieces that accompany their fighting scenes. And, same, same. You know, and it's one of those things, like, and we've talked about how effective the fight scenes are generally and how visceral and, you know, seeing the, the actors actually, you know, mix it up. It's great. Uh, so there's a lot going on already, but the music really goes a long way towards really putting it over the top. And and yeah, I agree that the music that accompanies Zed, I, I, you know, thinking about what, you know, what kind of stood out most from, from Zed's arrival, one thing uh, from, from, from my perspective was how quickly Goldar turned on Rita did you find that was yep. <laughs> uh, in keeping with his character or, or were you surprised by that at all? Um, I, I will admit to, I, I didn't, I don't think I thought anything of it when I was a kid, but rewatching it now, I definitely, it was, it, it was jarring, you know, and because I think for lack of a better term, maybe a better written show might've planted those seeds towards the end of the first season. And then the, the beginning of this season when Lord Zed shows up, would have Goldar saying, I called him because you're not getting it done. The Power Rangers are still alive. You know what I mean? Like, so that would be kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there, but that's not, that's not the way the show was written. That's not the way it was. And I, I feel bad saying better written. 
because I, I I only mean that in the sense that the show, you know, was just it, it wasn't as serialized as stuff is nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, look, you know, we all love the show. We have a lot of affection for it. I don't know that anyone would hold this up as the epitome of, uh, you know, of writing necessarily. I mean, you know, for a kid's show, I think it it really works. But I mean, that's the thing, right? Ultimately, this was aimed at at a very young audience. And and two, in fairness, at a very different time. I mean, I... You know, I, I believe you have a three-year-old as well as as do I, and so you know what we're watching now. We're not necessarily in that in that category yet, but you know, as he gets older and we start to watch more, you know, kids programming uh, akin to what maybe you and I grew up with, it probably is more sophisticated. I mean, I feel like storytelling generally and television, it's there's been an evolution right over thirty years. So, keeping in mind yeah. the time period and the audience. You know, I think the writing's just fine. But yeah, I think that's it's reasonable to say like, oh, they, you know, they could have done that. And that's one of the things going back and looking at all of these things. Uh, you know, it doesn't ruin the show or take away from the enjoyment. But yeah, there are plenty of instances where I'm like, oh man, I wish, I wish they could have gotten into this yeah. aspect. Like, for example, I know we've been talking a lot, uh, especially in the early episodes of this podcast about Tommy's arc as the Green Ranger. And I think what made all of those episodes from Green with Evil, but even more so uh, the Green Candle and Green No More and Missing Green, like all of those episodes uh, so compelling was that there there were some personal stakes and the the Rangers, Tommy in particular, but the whole team, like they were actually struggling with something. And one of yeah. the things that I really liked in the Mutiny three-parter was this was the point in time uh, Tommy hasn't fully lost his powers yet, but they're, they're you know, on, on the decline. And so, you know, he can't really pull his own weight really in battle the way he used to. And, you know, he doesn't have enough power to power a new Zord when the Rangers get all their new Zords. And, you know, you see that weighing on him. You see that feeling of uselessness, right? When he's in the command center and the rest of them go, he has to stay behind. And again, you don't get a ton of that, uh, at least in in this arc. But, you know, when you get something like that, it's, I I always love it. You always wish that there's more, but I'm I'm grateful for what we did get. (laughs) No, I, I totally agree. And even talking off mic about the, the comic books uh, and how they they have the the time and the quote unquote budget to expand on all that, whereas the TV show just wasn't really interested in that. You know, it was you know essentially twenty five minute you know or thirty minute uh, toy commercials. You know, but uh, luckily they were effective, and thirty years later we can still enjoy them. And um, you know, I and I, I watched them alone. I didn't watch them with my daughter. I don't think she'd have any interest. Um, but then again, who knows? Kids are weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just sat there going, man, like this is just, but this is just fun, you know. And you know, do do I, you know, do I wish there was more of that? And and maybe some of it is just the actors doing what they can with what they're given, which which isn't that much. But um, but it's exciting to to watch it and feel like everybody was committed to putting out something of quality, at least. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay. Listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services 
and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah. Yeah, we talked about Goldar. So Goldar quickly shows where his loyalties lie, and they're with Zed. They are not with Rita. He seems more than happy to be done with Rita. I agree. It would have been cool. I mean, look, you see all of the abuse he he takes from Rita over the entire first season. So it's not shocking that he would be happy to uh, see her cast aside. But uh, but yes, I agree with you. I mean, it would have been cool if this had been seeded through a little bit more, but you know, it, it yeah. is what it is. I think Goldar also, not to, not to split hairs here, but I feel like Goldar gives us the, or justifies the title of this arc because mutiny, again, not to get like so, so specific here, but typically like, I mean, what's ultimately happening here is, is Zed, the overlord is coming and ousting Rita. But typically when I think of, of a mutiny, at least it's, it's from within, from underneath sort of thing, like the underlings revolting. Right. Uh, and so again, I think Goldar really, uh, <laughs> really satisfies that piece of it. So Zed, and you know, we have this whole sequence where, you know, Rita is groveling. She's kissing his feet. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing saves her, and, and Zed shrinks her and puts her in a dumpster, and the putties lift her up, and, and Zed casts her into space. Through this arc and the wedding, I finally, and this, look, for people who know all the ins and outs and all the behind the scenes, I know I'm going to sound very late to the game here, pardon me, but I finally got exactly what was going on with the actresses portraying Rita, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I understood in the first season, even as a kid, but even more so now, right? Understanding the, the use of the footage and all that. So I understand in the first season when we see Rita on her moon base with her minions, Japanese footage dubbed over by American actress Barbara Goodson. Obviously, that's why the the lips and the and the words do not match, right? She's dubbing over the Japanese <laughs> yeah. footage. Totally on board with that. What I definitely never realized as a kid was exactly what was happening in season two when we were now getting, I guess, primarily American footage of the moon the moon scenes with, with the yeah. villains, right? So uh, we now have American actress Carla Perez playing Rita, but still dubbed over by Barbara Goodson. So now the, the lip movement and the words match up more, but you can still tell <laughs> you're not hearing the voice of the person you, who you're seeing speak. Uh, but I guess they wanted the consistency, and obviously it was such an iconic voice. So it, it, you know, it, it all becomes a lot clearer. And in the, in the mutiny thing, like I believe that is Carla Perez who's who's starting at that point, but you only see like from the 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 back of her head or the side. Like there were no like real close up shots of her face. They save that until she comes back in the wedding arc, 
And Finster makes that, uh, the, the cream for her face that de-ages her, right? And she takes it off. And now this is our new actress who's we're going to see in all of the American footage. We're, as a kid, or even more recently, like, how closely were you tracking any of this? Um, I, it, it didn't really occur to me until rewatching it that it was uh, the, the American actress in, in the, the, the Lord Zed scenes. Because I knew Lord Zed was a, an American invention. And... And I thought that they filmed it cleverly, you know, where you just kind of, you see her from behind or at, at, kind of in the shadows or, you know, the angle's a little off, whatever it is. Um, or even when she shrinks, you know, then it's just like a little doll they're throwing into the dumpster. But, um, but you know, so I, I was like, okay, like I, knowing behind the scenes stuff and knowing how their specific situation worked, I, I, I dug it because it, it didn't feel... I wasn't rolling my eyes going, oh, well, here's where they're doing this. I was like, oh, okay, I see, you know, the quote-unquote compromises they made in the editing room, and that's cool. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like it would be, it's very easy, especially as an adult, to look at a lot of this stuff and be like, oh, what a cheat, and look how they're faking it and and all of that. But yeah, I, I find I come away from this more impressed with with what they were able to do and how they were able to cobble this together Yep. Especially when, wait till we get to uh, the wedding arc. <laughs> that was crazy. So, but like, that's the thing. It's, it's, I think it's from an editing standpoint in particular, it's impressive. And look, again, it's easy for us now and we're pausing where we want, you know, you can do so much more, but you know, for kids watching this live in the nineties, again, I had no clue, you know, when I was first watching this. So it, you know, it, it works well enough. Uh, so, you know, she's back in the dumpster. She's off in space. I skipped over, you know, I mentioned Zed's putties, but, you know, we also have that moment where Zed creates new putties. Mm-hmm. What is your preferred brand of putty? You know, when I was a kid, I I thought the new putties were, were, it was really scary. And then as I got older, I was like, no, the original ones were way better. And also like the, the Zed's putties are, they might be stronger, but they're easier to beat. Like, and that's just that, that aspect of it. I kind of couldn't let go. I didn't think much of it as a kid, but rewatching as an adult, I went, that's really, really stupid. (laughs) I'm with you. I had the same thought watching it because they make, you know, Zed makes such a big deal about, you know, he's not going to use their putties, right? He has his own putties. And then just, just as later, you know, he's not going to use Finster's monsters anymore. He's going to make his own monsters. Like everything he does is better more powerful. And, and, you know, even Zordon and the Rangers there, you know, this whole powwow in the command center, we're talking about how like these Zeds are so, you know, these uh, putties are so much more powerful and they really give the Rangers a run for their money in battle. Yeah. Uh, so yes, to your point, I think they are stronger, but, but easier to beat because as, as we and the Rangers discover, all you got to do <laughs> is hit them hard enough in that, in that Z on their chest. So they have this huge target uh, for their opponents <laughs> And if you, if you hit them hard enough there, they will explode, disintegrate, whatever you want to call it, which was not something that the original putties did, right? Like you just, they sort of fought until they were down. And then I'm even having a hard time remembering now. Did they, did they tell, did they teleport away or what was it? Yeah, they would teleport away uh, because maybe somebody said, you know, in the writer's room or the editing room or whatever, and just said, well, you know, this, well, the putties got to go away somehow. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> it just made it like, it's like, yeah, okay, but that's just, I don't know. It, it, I can't think of really a good example. Uh, well, the example I had, have you ever watched um, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? All, what, 15 seasons? Yes, I have. <laughs> the, the episode where the, it, it just, it, the best comparison I can make is the episode where the McBoyles try and take over the bar. And, and then at the end of the episode, when they're about the, you know, the one McBoyle is about to fall and they're like, no, no, no. And he just like lands on his feet. He's like, oh, I'm okay. You know, it's, it's like that. It's like, oh my God, these buddies are so strong. What are we going to do? Oh, just hit them in the Z. They're gone. Like, oh, okay. That was easy. (laughs) Just, um, and, and again, it almost would have been like better if, you know, Zed had faked them out and like, oh, well those, He's like, yeah, I, I wanted them to think that, but then the putties reform or something. I don't know. It, something like that. But again, not it wasn't that type of show. It, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I will say, and I've talked about this on the show before, in my mind, you know, when I think back on the putties, I my mind always goes to these putties. So, yeah. you know, whether or not the 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 Z that could disintegrate them was silly, it, it they the, definitely made the stronger impression on me at least like i always in my mind if you say putty this was the version that i would think of do you remember when you were a kid do you do you remember thinking to yourself like oh man rita's gone and like having some kind of reaction to that um i did think she was gone and and thinking like like now what you know uh because it just and i was yeah really just that just the idea of like Oh, you know, I never thought we'd see her again and thinking, well, Zed's the bad guy now. Like now, now what's going to happen? Um, so I was, but I wasn't sad to see her go. I was found, found Rita to be super irritating. <laughs> like I said, like I love Goldar and, and Scorpina who vanished halfway through season, season one. Um, but you know, I, uh, I always thought they were such cool looking villains and a lot of the monsters were awesome looking. Um, but, uh, but Rita always just, you know, the, oh, I've got such a headache. Just, ugh. <laughs> just so cringy to me. I really like that at the end of this arc, Tommy is like, hey, whatever happened to Rita? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, like fitting that it was Tommy, right? The one who she plucked and put under the spell and turned him into the Green Ranger that he was the one to ask. And, uh, you know, of course, Alpha and Zordon are able to to pull up her, you know, flying dumpster on the viewing globe. And she's just sitting in there singing 99 bottles of slime on the wall, which... <laughs> All of them, including Zordon, find hilarious. Did, like, yeah. I had totally forgotten that Zordon sings at the end of that. Crazy. That, that, that is so funny because I'm just the opposite. I'll never forget it. <laughs> like, it, it, that image of Zordon, you know, going, no, 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 bottles of slime is burned into my brain. When I am old in a nursing home and have Alzheimer's, I will remember that. <laughs> yeah, Yo, it definitely stood out. Now I know maybe you know the answer. Certainly, I'm sure there are people listening to this who know the answer about what the original intention was when Rita was sent away. She's off the board in season two for so long that I, my gut is that maybe they were intending to just focus on Zed, but then maybe when there was this outcry over kids being scared, they had this idea to bring in Rita and marry them off and soften Zed and play him up for comedy a little bit more. I mean, I don't know. Do you have any, any insight or any, any gut sense about this? 
Um, no, I don't have any insight, but I would say that you're probably right because I think the first time she comes back is the white light episodes. Yes. Um, like there's like the subplot with her and bulk and skull, which I rewatched those episodes not too long ago and actually really enjoyed them. Um, but, uh, and I thought that that aspect of, of Rita almost coming back was cool. And, and so I, I think it must've been that it must've been something where it's like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll get rid of our new bad guy. It's all good. And uh, because it's sort of, it's the Batman forever syndrome, right? It's like, oh, that one, the last one was too dark. We got to make the next one less dark. And it's like, okay, but like the, the people complaining about it, I would put good money on either haven't seen the movie or watched it once and didn't understand it sort of situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. But uh, yeah, you know, and, and audience, uh, you know, if you have some insight, please feel free to reach out. I mean, that's, again, uh, watching it and then, you know, knowing sort of the little bit that we do, I feel like that's probably the likeliest scenario, uh, you know, in terms of the the plan with Rita. But, uh, you know, in any event, I mean, she's done away with rather quickly uh, in, in this arc. And it's really about Zed you know, setting his, his plans into motion. Again, he's got the new, he's got the new putties. Uh, he has a new, we have a new mechanism now for creating monsters. It's not Finster molding them from clay and then, you know, bringing them to life. Uh, now we have Zed taking animals and objects, right. And using his magic to turn them into monsters. And, and even when he makes them grow, it's not, you know, throwing the wand down like it was with Rita. Now we have these bombs (laughs) that he launches. Yeah. So the same, obviously same idea we're still following the same pattern and formula, but, uh, with, you know, with a little bit of variation on it, the Rangers, meanwhile, during all of this, they're doing this charity, uh, motorbike race, uh, for the uh, local hospital. And so, you know, you get a lot of the Rangers on their bikes and, and everything, and they notice the what weird stuff going on in the sky. Right. And, you know, Zordon brings them to the command center. Of course, Zordon knows, uh, I, it, rewatching this, this is the thing that I keep coming back to and I don't mean to harp on it, but it's just, it's so weird to me how the villains and, and our heroes can always see what the other one is doing all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, cause yeah. look, as yeah. fellow, like, you know, we're fellow comic book fans. Like you think about all of these superhero movies and all the comics we've read, like, I'm sure there are other things out there like this, but nothing that immediately comes to mind and nothing to this extent. It's like they can just see each other all the time. It's so weird to me that they gave both yeah. sides that advantage. It It's, it is. And I remember making a joke to friends of mine, maybe like 10 years ago, 10 or more years ago, talking about Power Rangers and, and saying, oh man, I just think Zordon was stupid. Like he should have, like he knew, like he knew where Rita was. Why didn't he, instead of recruiting teenagers, recruit some like green berets to just go up there and assassinate her? Like he knew exactly where she was and what she was doing at all times, which is already like creepy in a, in a way. And <laughs> so why not send like the best of the best to go over there and just kill her and evil is done, you know? <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. It's It's sort of weird to me, but I always have that in the back of my head. As I'm watching, speaking of creepy, this was not on the list of episodes that I assigned for us to read, but, uh, I mean, I know you, I'm sure you've seen it at some point, but have you revisited recently the episode beauty and the beast by any chance? No. So this is the one. Remind me of that one. Yeah. So it's in season two. It's right before white light. So this is still when Rita's off the board and Zed gets it in his head that he wants Kimberly to be his queen. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. And look, and Does this he is turn her into Rita. Yeah, well, so he tries to. So Goldar uses this. I mean, Goldar uses this magic dust on her to knock her out and and put her under this spell to turn her into the evil queen. Uh, and when Kimberly awakes, you're not quite sure, or when she awakens, you're not quite sure if it if it worked. And you realize that um, it didn't, but she decides to play along with it. And so she pretends to be Rita. They've put her in the Rita garb. And she is clever enough yeah. to go along with it. And look, to Amy Jo Johnson's credit, it is a spot on Rita Repulsa impression. For anyone, yep, li- I, it's coming back to me. Yep, yep. <laughs> like honestly, for audience viewers, listeners, if if you're if you don't remember this one, look up Power Rangers Beauty and the Beast. Look up if that one scene, if nothing else, uh, she knocks it out of the park. I mean, she really she does the voice, she does the whole thing. I've got a headache, like that whole thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's just, and this is not. Look, I, you know, I, looking back on old media through modern eyes, of course, you're always going to find things that are problematic, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to like beat up on this. But it's just right. like looking at it, it's just even for then, it's like this was a child. It's so weird to me that this was the premise for the episode. Like if the premise had been Zed's nephew was visiting the moon and Zed wanted to fix him up with Kimberly, right? Then it's like, OK, yeah. then then we could do this. Ep- I mean, look, it's obviously still problematic, you know, uh, nevertheless. But the fact <laughs> that this was coming from Zed, it was just like, man, how did this fly even then? So weird, but great, great performance. Great performance. Yeah, I, that, I'm so excited that you brought that up. I'm going to watch that when we uh, when we're done recording because I totally forgot about that. But I do remember her jumping off the table, going, "Hey, Goldar!" Wah, wah, wah. And even as a, in like watching it as a kid, I went, "Whoa!" <laughs> like Kimberly's awesome. Yeah, it was, ah, it was so good. It was really, really uh, such a good episode. So, um, uh, anyway, in this episode uh, or the the you know, the mutiny arc. Again, we have our Rangers on their motorbikes and Zordon filling them in about Zed and how Zed's so powerful. And uh, again, we have this battle between the Rangers and the putties and, and, you know, they're ultimately able to prevail, but it's, it's tough going. Zed creates this monster uh, out of a piranha, uh, Pirantis head, I think was the name of, of this villain. And it, given immediately, by the way, which like cracked me up. It's like, and he's a piranha, now a piranha set. And I was like, shut up, Zordon. <laughs> I had the same thought. It's like, come on. <laughs> like he knew it was going to happen. Or they've had to fight piranha set on another planet like 10,000 years ago or something. Maybe. Maybe. It's like, you know, I mean, I guess I think about, uh, you know, the Flash TV show, for example, and Cisco, right? Always naming the villains. and And it's like you would... Like, it would make sense if one of the kids, like every time one of these monsters popped up, if one of the rangers like gave them a name. Uh, so what was interesting here, when they go into battle against Perantis Head, right? Like, they know this is going to be a tougher battle than they've had before, right? They know that. So they know the stakes are higher. But one of the rules from Zordon is you never escalate a battle, right? Yet, in this instance, they call on the Zords before Perantis' head grows, which I just thought was interesting. Like, they went to the Zords a lot faster here than they normally do. And almost, I can't think of any other instance previously off the top of my head where they summoned Zords before a monster grew. But I guess they just knew. It was just tough times. Yeah, it's, it was kind of a bizarre choice on, on, on Jason's part to, to lead with that, you know. Uh, but... I guess, I guess he was 
lack of a better word, overcompensating. Like, well, if this is going to be tougher, then we're going to need the swords immediately. Um, so yeah, you could. I, I'm at least head canning in it that way. So as to make not make them all look like morons, but <laughs> um, but but it, but yeah, it was it was a strange choice. But uh, to that that scene, I re- I remember I do remember this vividly as a kid when you know Parata said freezes them, and Jason says, "Oh no, he froze the Zords. We're history." And it says to be continued. And I had that same gut reaction when I rewatched it. I went, "What, what are they going to do? Like, how are they going to beat this guy?" And 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 that's that's good. That's that is good storytelling. That's that's fuel for the next episode. You know, that's the thing, and that's what's like so cool about these event episodes in particular, because you get to see, in a lot of instances, you get to see things that you haven't seen before. And I think that's mm. why when we talked about Green with Evil, why that was like so, just so striking as a kid, and even rewatching it now as an adult, it's like when Tommy enters the the Megazord cockpit, it's like, oh my god, like this yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Uh, he, so, he, he can't do that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, this, like, we've seen a lot of episodes. This is not how it works. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely, again, I think the stakes are set pretty clearly here and effectively. And even though you know it will be all right, you still don't know exactly how you're going to get there. And, and, and it really pulls you in. And so, yes, uh, Zed and Perantis had, right? They have this ability. They So Perantis had freezes uh, the four Zords, right? And is able to also take control of the Tyrannosaurus and Dragon Zords. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which really puts the Rangers in a bind. I mean, they're back in that command center. They're defeated. They're, you know, they feel like they've totally lost. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and... I can't take all the credit. I think it was IMDB or or Rangers Wiki that uh, gave me this bit of trivia, but it tracks that this was the first instance in the series that we saw the Rangers helmetless. Hmm. Yeah, you you said that earlier, and and I was really taken aback. Like I I didn't realize that, but I I think you're right. Um, because when Tommy's hair was shorter, we never saw him. Like right. Um, it. Yeah, so I that's uh and that's really interesting. It must have been kind of cool for the actors to feel like, oh, like here we are, like finally tying it together. Um, so you know, so that at least I would have thought that. Uh, but I also just laugh a little bit, like with Tommy's hair, Zach's hair, Kimberly's hair, and like they're all fitting in that helmet, just like wrapped around their necks or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a fair point, but I, you know, that helmetless look is, is so, look, the design of the Rangers is awesome, but yeah, when they're fully garbed and the helmet's down, obviously, you, you know, you're not seeing them. So, you know, you're, there's that little bit of connection that you're losing there, right? That you have when they're in their civilian mode and they're fighting the putties and you can see them doing everything and, and everything. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love the helmetless look because it's a nice way to sort of blend everything and, and you get that, you really do get that connection. That's why I'm not to skip ahead, but uh, the wedding arc was shot while the actors were making the Power Rangers movie, the Mighty Morphin right. Power Rangers movie in Australia. And in fact, in story, in the wedding arc, all the kids go on a class trip to Australia. I'm right. thinking to myself, what school is this? I mean, like, you know... <laughs> Is that all these kids? <laughs> you know, we went thirty minutes down the road for a play. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's uh, it was pretty. And I'm also saying to myself, man, you know, like they could have just teleported there. They could have saved the school a lot of money. 
And but well, at least Ernie was there to see them off. Yes, at least at least there was that. But you know, but so they they filmed those episodes and the following arc, uh, Return of the Green Ranger, uh, when everyone was in Australia for the to make the movie. And again, look, this was something I would not have noticed at all as a kid, um, but watching it now. We have very little time. We have precious few scenes of our actual actors there, right? There are a few scenes yeah. of them like getting ready to go to Australia. They get there. Uh, they walk around a little bit. They have lunch. They do a little shopping. They get called into action, uh, or so they think, uh, by Alpha. Mm. And then we see them again at the very end. For most of that three-episode arc, they're fully morphed the entire yeah. time. Of course, you're hearing their voices, but that, you know, we're not watching them. We're not watching the actual actors. And even the one scene where they escape the bad guys and they make it to the command center and they're helmetless talking to Zordon and Alpha, stock footage or recycled footage. Yep. I noticed that. <laughs> you know, and it's, again, they made it work. And I, to look, I totally get it. They're making a movie. It's actually kind of incredible that they still pumped out episodes <laughs> at the same time. It, yeah, no, seriously, especially with their schedule at the time. It was yeah, this was like, I totally get it. But I, I just, you know, again, watching these two three-parters back to back, it was just this interesting juxtaposition where in the mutiny, you get all of these scenes of them helmetless. And it's just, it's such a cool look. And you get this this added sense of connection with them that you really don't have in the latter arc. So it was just kind of striking uh, watching them together like that. Um, um I... I didn't, I didn't get as deep as you did with that, you know, but, uh, but I did notice, uh, they were fully morphed without their powers, but <laughs> so that's a bit of story, you know, mental gymnastics we're doing in that sense. But yeah, but I thought about that. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, they were in Australia. So these are all the stock doubles, but it, it, it still blends pretty well together. Um, but, uh, but going back to the, the mutiny episodes and the, when they're helmetless, it it is a cool look because there's there's some iconography to that, isn't there? Where you know there's there's the the picture of the six of them must have been from that episode. Uh, now that I think about it, uh, you know, with their you know to the side, their arms up like that, you know, and smiling at the camera that they all get signed at cons and stuff. And so it's interesting looking at that and going, oh, that that happened kind of late in the show. That's interesting. For sure. I mean, look, I, I don't know if you were a member of the official fan club, were you? I probably was, but I don't really remember. I don't remember. Because <laughs> I definitely had, I didn't keep it, unfortunately. Uh, when when my parents sold our house, this was not all that long ago, when, about a, well, 10 years ago, I guess, at this point. Uh, and I had to clear everything out. And I took a picture of the box. I had it in a, in a crawl space for years, you know. And, uh, and then it was time it was like, keep, keep it or toss it. And I, I, unfortunately I toss it. I did take pictures at least, but, but yes, yeah, so those helmetless photos in the command center, it, you're right. There is really that, that imagery is so iconic, uh, to the show for sure. And I'll say, I mean, was there a more badass moment? Well, other than Zed's entrance, when <laughs> Alpha leads the helmetless Rangers outside the command center and we're getting a little slow-mo and the music is playing because he's going to show them the new Zords. It's such a, like, it's a really cool moment. And the way the camera is placed, like you see, you're primarily seeing the the helmets, like them carrying the helmets as they walk by the camera. It's cool. It's, I, I love the look. I, I a hundred percent agree. It just, it, it made me think of uh, when like YouTube was kind of first, 
coming or becoming like a big behemoth and people realized they could edit stuff together and throw it on YouTube and call it whatever. And I remember like way back when, uh, before there was ever a movie, um, or the newer movie, I should say, the 2017 one, people were putting together footage of the show and saying, Power Rangers movie sequel. And and that image was there. Um, <coughs> excuse me, that, that, that them walking out of the command center like that. And that, that was my first thought rewatching it. You know, and, and you're 100% right. It's, it's so badass. But watching that, my first thought was like, oh my gosh, I think I watched a fake movie trailer <laughs> with that image or with that, that reel in it. <laughs> I know that's great. It's great. So I guess this brings us to the bit of the bit of business with respect to the new Zords, right? Mm-hmm. This introduces the Thunder Zords. Uh, before I give my spiel on this, I mean, what is? Did you do you like this? You know, the, this version of the Zords. You like the Thunder Zords coming off of the our Dino Zords? I I did actually when uh, I've. I've kind of flip flopped as, as an adult, but when I was a kid, I loved it. I thought they all looked super cool. And, um, you know, the red dragon, that was one of my favorite toys when I was a kid. Um, especially when there were episodes like the green, uh, green candle or one of those episodes where it's, or no, no, it wasn't the green candle. It was, I don't remember the episode title, but it was where all the other, you know, yellow, pink, black and blue candles. Right. And yeah. so it was just Jason and he was in the red dragon in the warrior mode. And I was just thought that was so cool. Um, and then I watch it now and <laughs> as an adult, and I just think when the Zords come together, they're just the armor for the red dragon Zord, except for the pterodactyl fireboard thunder Zord power. It's just the belt. <laughs> you know? That's all it is. It holds the sword there. <laughs> yeah. I like, I don't hate them, but they're not my favorite. And I feel like even as a kid, I mean, I remember having the toys. I just, I don't know that I was ever as into them. I guess my heart was always with the, with the dinosaurs, you know? And, and even now I just, I don't really look at, look at it as such a huge upgrade. I don't know. I don't, I don't hate it. It was just something about the design. I I, I don't know. It didn't do it for me. There was a, there was a time when my, my best friend and I, I remember uh, when we, we both moved back to Erie uh, around the same time, you know, that's an off mic conversation we had. I'm bringing it back, so not a bit you'll understand this, but you and me. Anyway, um, so anyway, my my best friend and I are out like drinking, and uh, and, and of course, like we're huge pop culture nerds, and I think you know Power Rangers came up at some point, and I was like, I was like, dude, Power Rangers like ended up sucking, and this is why they went from dinosaurs to mythological creatures to like you know, fire trucks and, and police cars, like what a step down. And, and we, and he burst out laughing and brings it up every now and then I'll, every now and then I'll get a text from him going, what a step down. <laughs> um, you know, but I, but at the time I was like, these are the coolest things I've ever seen. You know, <laughs> Whereas like when they started being lightspeed rescue, I was like, I, I, no, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, like I tapped out before Turbo, but I I am gonna dip my toes in, <laughs> into those waters later on for the podcast because it's part of Tommy's journey, and I think that's sort of become our our, our guiding light here a little bit as we're planning out what we're gonna yeah. cover. And but just just the concept of it, like you said, going from all of these mythological creatures and everything to vehicles, I don't know. I think that's gonna be a tough pill to swallow. But 
I, I did think I, I thought that the, you know, the, the light show or the, <laughs> the show in the yeah. sky that Zordon and Alpha create where they show off the new Zords was cool. I also did like when Zordon says to them, he's like, you're going to need the power of thunder to defeat Zed. And Billy's like, <laughs> power of thunder. <laughs> he, he, he makes it like, he, he made an acting choice to say thunder, you know, <laughs> like he was, he's not saying thunder. He's, you know, he's putting his whole diaphragm into it um, every time. And, and I respected it. <laughs> it was a great choice. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, for sure. Now this, this also comes from the Rangers wiki, but, uh, and this, this is a larger conversation, but right. As, as us Rangers fans know, right. We, you know, the show was, you know, based on the super Sentai series, which had, you know, many, many iterations. Right. And in right. time, the American show would, would emulate this changing of the guard every season. Right. But in the beginning, they didn't. They kept our core group of actors, even as some left and were replaced, but we still kept the same group and we were Mighty Morphin for three seasons. Um, But there came a point where they were out of footage, right? And then they were pulling from other series. And so you started to get these combinations. So my understanding is that those Thunderzords come from a different series than our other, you know, Dinozord and Mighty Morphin footage. I don't know if that lines up with, with your understanding. I, I believe that's the case. And what Rangers wiki told me was that uh, it was an American uh, original, the the cockpit that they created and filmed, right? Of okay. our mighty Morphin Rangers in the Thunder Megazord. So yeah, just interesting. I, you know, that I, I always, well, not as a kid, but now watching it, I, I, I did realize that like, oh, like the, the cockpit scenes are definitely... Um, like 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 Zed, their American footage. Um, but I did not know that that came from like a whole different thing. Uh, but again, it's it's cut together well. It's almost like two actors that don't want to be in the same, you know, scene together, even though they have to be in the same scene. So they have to edit it so you know the Thunder Megas are always going to punch, and then the other monsters going <laughs> to jump away. So that uh-huh. yeah, clever editing. They they got us. <laughs> That's what I've been noticing, not in every episode that we, but I've been noticing that more now where you're not seeing the Zords and the monsters in the same shot where right. you'll see one throw a punch or fire a blaster or whatever. And then you'll see the other one get hit or fall, but you never see them together. But again, yeah. as a kid, it's like, you're not, you know, you're not clocking that, but it, it definitely stands out now, you know, watching it as an adult. Yeah. So, you know, we get these new Zords. Unfortunately, Tommy's not strong enough to get a new Zord, but his new Zord's coming. He'll be all right. Uh, a few episodes down the line, but uh, you know, for now he doesn't get the upgrade that the rest of them do. Did you like th- this was, you know, as, as far as suspension of disbelief and, and, you know, it's just sort of their mumbo jumbo. It's like <laughs> this idea that Zordon and Alpha have created new Zords. But they can't be activated until the old Zords are freed from uh, Perantis Head's grip, right? Which they're ultimately able to achieve because good old Billy, Billy's always clutch. Billy's always the one. The rest, you know what? I feel like Billy is the MVP of all of this because episode after episode, all of them, even Jason, even the leader, even Tommy, the badass, the sixth ranger, and then later the leader himself, always like standing around. They never know what to do. It's like, oh, we've lost. All is lost. We're defeated. Billy's always the one who's like, oh, I think maybe I could come up with something. So yeah, <laughs> props, to, props to Billy. So he and Trini make this signal jammer uh, that's able to you know disrupt the signal. 
Uh, but even then, Zed destroys the Zords, but Alpha's able to, yeah. like, encase them in some sort of energy field or whatever long enough to generate the new Zords. I mean, I I didn't quite follow the science of it, but it, it seemed to work. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's one of those nitpicky things where as a kid, I... I didn't think anything of it. Like, whatever, sure, that makes sense. Who cares? Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not clocking that as a kid, but uh, as an adult, I'm watching it, and I just, I sort of wanted there just to be a moment. It's like, you have to get control of the old swords. Why? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally valid question. Uh, again, if this were being written now, I think you'd probably get, <laughs> you'd probably get a little bit more of of that back and forth. You know, there was, um, talking about instances where we get a little bit more depth, there was another glimmer of this. It was, you know, relatively brief, but it's when Billy and Trini are working on their signal jammer and, you know, Perantis head is attacking the motocross rally here. And, you know, uh, Zordon orders the remaining Rangers to stay right to stay at the command center, because if they go back into battle and lose, then, then everything's lost. Right. But it gets to a point where, you know, Jason's like, look, we have to go. And, you know, the show kind of backed off real quick because Zordon was like, yes, it's an urgent situation. You better go. It, it would have been yeah. nice if there had still been a little bit more tension. But I, I did like that uh, even for that brief moment, it's like Jason doesn't know what Zordon is going to say, but that's not stopping him. Right. Like he's he said he's going back because they have to do this. Um, so I, I really, I appreciated that again, when we get these, these little glimpses, um, and this also, uh, gives us the phrase back to action, which I almost called this podcast, but I, I obviously went in a different direction, but, uh, but we got that here. Cause it's like, once they're already morphed and the helmets are off, they got to say something, but it's not morphing time. Yeah. Oh my God. This was the first time that was said. Again, according to Rangers Wiki, at, and I think that makes sense because again, we haven't had these instances of them in this in this mid state here. So uh, I, I believe that tracks. So again, listen, people, if you're if listening, you're watching, and you're like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Rangers Wiki is wrong. Let me know, please. But uh, that's the information I'm relying on. So it seems like this is where it started, which makes sense. That, it it does. If you're saying that the timing would line up, then right with this is the first time we see them helmetless. Then, then yeah, they got to say something. They can't just morph again. They're already morphed. They just got to put their helmets back on. Um, yeah, uh, wow, that's interesting. But th that was that was a moment uh, I, I, I did notice as well. The you know Jason being like, we, we have to go. Like it, it just, it you know, it, it made me smile. Thinking like, oh yeah, these these guys are heroes. You know, like they they know the stakes. They they understand what's happening. Um, and there's no like, oh, we'll be fine. We've done this before. It's very much them understanding we might not come back from this, and that's and that's really cool. And and those you know, and those actors, they you know, uh, you know, for for the show they were making, you know, just you know, just a fun cheesy kid show. When when it mattered, they could they could sell it, and you know, and I was and I was sold there. And they're like, no, we, we yeah, we got to go, and um, and it just was like yeah, like. It made me, like I said, it made me smile. It's just like, yes, like these, these guys, they're the heroes for a reason. Cause I would have not come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. No, I, I echo all of that. The, you know, look, say what you will about the acting. And I, and I think for a lot of them, they grew into it over time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it really, you know, they sell it. And also in the, to their credit, especially when we're in these multi-part 
episodes, it's like, it's a lot of the same thing over and over. It's like, oh, he's got control over Azores. Oh, what are we going to do? I, so, you know, not only do they have to sell it once, but they have to like sell it over and over uh, in, in the same way a lot of times. So for sure. the So we have this now for the, I believe, the entire duration of the Thunder Zord era where the Rangers call their Zord, but they they call both the original Dino Zord and the new like pterodactyl fire. Uh, oh my God, I'm already blanking on it. Was it fire bird? No. Fire, fire bird. Yeah. Fire. Okay. Like pterodactyl uh, fire, fire bird. Belt, what it was. Yeah. The belt. <laughs> <laughs> Much uh, better purpose with Tommy's tiger sword. It was the actual <laughs> weapon, which was cool. Uh, or, you You're know, tired of being a belt. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, you know, or triceratops, unicorn, uh, the thunder zord. So they, they call both and you see the original dino zord. And then like lightning strikes and it morphs into the new one, uh, which, you know, I, I don't know if we're meant to think that that's what was happening literally or if that was more of like a like the spirit of the original Zord was giving rise to the new one. I probably putting more thought into this than I should. But did you <laughs> do you like do you like the effect of like seeing the original one and then and then the new Thunder Zord? No, even when I was a kid, it got old real fast. I because it happens twice in this two parter, and and just rewatching it last night, I I remembered feeling that way as a kid, going, okay, we don't need this. Like, and and even more annoying, in my opinion, was that the helmets didn't change. Like, why didn't the helmets and the uniforms change? <laughs> they never change when they get the ninja swords or when they get the shogun swords. They never change. To this day, it bugs the living hell out of me. <laughs> I can't get over it. I know. Well, that's because they were pulling from different, sh- you know, different series. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Haim Saban, you know, he really, uh, he knew when to, where, and when to spend his money. <laughs> the real killer, and I've, I've really been dialed into this as I've been watching now, is the difference in the gold shield between the American yeah. footage and the Japanese footage. It's crazy. It's like, what, what happened there? It's I, that I first noticed uh, rewatching as an adult and going, Oh, that is, that, that is atrocious. You, you could have spent just a little bit more money there. At, at least, at least the, the white Ranger was consistent. So I did appreciate that. Yeah, that, that I, that was fine. But yeah, the, the green Ranger outfit, it's like, there's never, I mean, you can tell otherwise when we're looking at American versus Japanese footage, but if you couldn't, all you have to do is look at that shield. It's just, it's so much, it's just like, it's so much bigger, brighter, and flimsier. It's just, it's so noticeable. It's so noticeable. It was, I mean, that was what the, the, our Halloween costumes look like, you know, when we were little kids, you know, going as whichever Ranger was our favorite or whichever ones weren't sold out at the, at the store our moms went to. <laughs> yeah, uh, very true. So I, I think we've probably hit, you know, most of the major beats of the, of, of the mutiny. You know, this also sets Bulk and Skull, you know, they get rescued by the Power Rangers. This sets them on their season long yeah. quest to uncover the identity of the Rangers. I, I found this season, they got a little bit more palatable. I mean, I'm on record as saying a little bit of Bulk and Skull goes a long way. I still agree with that. Your point is really well taken, though. I I'm with you, man. That music is so grating. Yeah, their theme music. Yeah. I I really I would love. Maybe someone's even done this, but if not, I would love for someone to just like rescore 
some bulk and skull scenes. And, and, and I, I, I bet they get a lot more watchable. It was just that, that I found that music so annoying. It just created this, this overall effect. I mean, like, you know, again, the characters are very, very cartoonish. And, and again, I like small doses is best, but the music doesn't help. No, it, it doesn't. But, but rewatching and, and having similar feelings about bulk and skull, I, I, I really, uh, there was something about these episodes that I just, I don't know. I, I really appreciated the slapstickness of it. You know, like the, the skull, 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 like, like, like it's like a Scooby-Doo bit, right? Like there's a m- m- monster behind you. And it's just, uh, and then, them being stuck, like going, you know, backwards on the, on the bikes and the power rangers laughing at first and then going, okay, we better go help them. I just thought like that, you know, that, that little bit was cute, but for some reason, I, the, when, Jason was like, you guys are right over there. Like, okay. Like, you know, be, you know, you know, we'll, we're on our way out of here. Whatever he says. I don't know. Uh, and bulk says, we're going to find out who they really are. I, I just remember feeling, I felt this way as a kid and I felt this way now going awesome. Like these guys have something to do, you know? <laughs> yes. No, I will say, I think that's the most I ever liked bulk and skull. When they were trying to figure yeah. out the Rangers' identities. Now, the comics, I think, making them podcasters who are following the Rangers. I love that. I love that whole angle. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, for the show, I think this was, at least from what I remember, uh, was was among the best. So, you know, moving now, we're skipping ahead deep into season two. And we've already hit on a lot of this wedding three-parter, which aired in February 1995. In fact, one of the installments dropped on Valentine's Day. Uh, so mm. fittingly enough, we have the return of Rita. Now, like you said, there was this white light episode where her dumpster landed on Earth. Bulk and Skull got it. They tried to free her. Uh, she ultimately got out, still miniaturized, but the Rangers intervened and sent her back into space. So now yeah. uh, she lands on the moon. This is during the period where Zed has his, uh, you know, once in a hundred years sleep uh, where he needs to re-energize. Yeah quite a flaw you know for such a powerful villain this is this is quite this is quite a flaw to have it's it's also you know like a truce has been called they're like oh this is Ed's 100 year sleep yeah that's when you go and assassinate him (laughs) (laughs) freaking idiots hmm do we take care of all evil in the universe now we'll go to australia to go shopping well we already bought the plane tickets so. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. I, I guess it just goes back to Zordon's whole thing about not escalating, right? It's like sure. if you yeah. if you attack us with a monster, we will defend ourselves, but we wouldn't be proactive and try to take you out. And I won't even go so far as assassinate. I mean, within the realm of a kid show, it's like, yeah. I mean, wh- why not mount some sort of attack and banish Zed? You know, that would have been that would have been a fun episode. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. 
On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Zordon, you know, rather than taking the opportunity to strike, uh, Zordon and the Rangers figure, okay, this is a perfect time we can take our trip to to Australia. Yeah. Uh, and so again, the Rangers are off and uh, Rita sees this as her her moment to strike, right? She lands on the moon. Uh, she goes to Finster's workshop. Again, she's still miniaturized. She, he's able to uh, regrow her pretty quickly. And she asks him for a potion to make Zed fall in love with her, yeah. uh, which Finster does. And he also creates, as we said before, this uh, rejuvenating face cream for her that when she washes it off, why well, it's like she's a different person, <laughs> like a totally different person. <laughs> uh, as she says, not a day old, she looks not a day over a thousand. So now we have our American actress, again, being dubbed over by our other American actress, uh, to create right. the version of Rita that now we'll, we'll be with uh, moving forward here as, you know, we we, are ne- we now have this American shot villain footage um, on the moon centered around, you know, Zed and now Rita. Uh, were, were you happy to see? I mean, I don't know to what extent you remember from from when you were a kid, um, but but even just now, like, were you happy when Rita came back? Or did you feel like, hey, we got a good thing going with Zed? We don't, <laughs> we don't necessarily need this. I I just remember feeling like, I guess indifferent, you know, like I, I enjoyed it and I'm, I'm glad that it happened, but I didn't think I, I, you know, as boring as an answer as that is, like I wasn't, I I didn't feel majorly either way. I just thought, Oh, this is where we're going. You know, like when I said now what earlier, it's like, Oh, this is the, now, now it's another, now what, you know? So that, that was the possibility was kind of cool to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like, you know, I like yourself. I don't know. It's it's funny looking back at the show. I mean, it's been 30 years and we were little kids watching it. Mm-hmm. There are certain things. Again, there were things during Green with Evil, uh, you know, things with the Mighty Morphin movie and, you know, the Ninja era and Zeo in particular. Like there are certain things there, White Light, certain things that I really do have vivid memories of of watching. Yeah, yeah. And I can kind of remember what my reaction was. Yeah, I don't know that I, I don't have necessarily a great answer either, but. In this context for this rewatch, uh, you know, it was fun. I liked how it played out. I mean, it was funny. Like I said before, you get very little of our of our Ranger cast here. 
Um, you know, we talked about the little bit that you see of them in Australia. Um, then a corrupted Alpha Five, because Finster is able to, you know, insert this disc into his back while he's taking a walk outside the command center because <laughs> he misses the Rangers and he has nothing to do. So Alpha is is you know under the influence of of the villains and lure that he lures the Rangers into this trap in this in this <laughs> abandoned theater, which as it turns out is in the center of a vortex, and they don't have any powers in there. So. Uh, so they can keep their costumes on. Though. They can keep the yeah. That's the thing. Well, I know that right. Like any other episode or season, right? They would have demorphed, and we would have seen them for right. the duration. But here, it's like no, you could keep the costumes and helmets on, <laughs> but you have no powers. Otherwise, uh, yeah, we're filming something, and we're filming something else. Sorry, just go go. <laughs> but you know, I think what ends up happening in this in this art, and so you know, the Rangers are trapped in this theater. And they're facing off against, like you said before, this, you know, greatest hits of monsters, right, from throughout the mm-hmm. series. And, uh, you know, they're ultimately able to escape the theater. They get into their Zords. They have a Zord battle. Alpha cuts the power to the Zords and teleports them back to the theater. They're stuck there again. Uh, eventually, Aisha pretends that she's giving up. Of course, it's a ruse. They throw a net on the monsters. They escape again. They make it to the command center. We get that recycled footage that we talked about earlier. They free Alpha. Right. They get into the Zords and they win. That's all to say, I thought the, weirdly, the Ranger aspect of that three-parter, I thought was the least engaging and least interesting, but I enjoyed everything that was going on on the moon and also in the command center as a deranged Alpha 5 was like really giving it to Zordon. It was pretty hilarious, I thought. Yeah. The Lord Zed stuff was just so like, and I don't even mean this in a bad way when I put it this way, but it was ridiculous, (laughs) you know? so much fun to watch but ridiculous (laughs) well no i mean like your point is well taken and for anyone who is really you know really beholden to that initial version of zed that we get you know what i what i just said is probably so antithetical to that i so i understand because yeah i mean you know zed wakes up he's under the effects of the potion he's in love with with rita he wants to get married he makes goldar his best man aka worst man and he you know takes him to task for not being able to get a musician on short notice uh, and then he makes one of the monsters play the wedding march and Finster performs the ceremony. And then apparently they're Jewish because they play uh, Hava Nagila during the <laughs> during the reception. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> which was hilarious. And to see the putties dancing was great. Like it was so funny. But yes, no. it's like off the wall. It's bonkers. And it it is a far cry. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a far cry from that first scene we described of Zed materializing there on the moon uh, on that throne with a snake crawling all over him. Like, it's it's very divorced from that, no pun intended, since now we're talking wedding. But uh, it, it was entertaining. And uh, again, I guess I I remember this iteration of Zed so well, this the Rita Zed team up and the family bickering and like that whole aspect. So... You know, I, I, again, I, it, I I welcome getting to that part of the story, but, it, you know, it, it is a departure. So for the Zed purists, I can understand why, you know, maybe maybe it's not as well received. Um, you, you know, what's funny is that I, I, I must have completely misremembered this because I thought that there was a – because it, especially the way the episodes play out, you think that Rita's going to – make Zed marry her. And then she's essentially going to be like a black widow. Right. (laughs) Um, That was the vibe I was getting, especially in part one. And when Goldar 
Goldar, I, I felt like kind of figured out what was going on. And I thought that he put the love potion on Rita so that she wouldn't be able to overthrow him. They would just be in it together. And, and when that didn't happen, it, it blew my mind. <laughs> it was like, I swear to God, I remember that happening, but that was just my own headcanon. And it just almost works in sort of a Shakespearean way. Like, well, if you want this, then you'll be trapped in that forever, you know? So you won't be able to overthrow him like you want. And I don't know. I, I was just like watching it going, what the, where the hell is that scene? <laughs> <laughs> I know it is crazy when you, when you have that memory and it's just not lining up. I maybe, I mean, there, there, maybe there's something else that we just haven't gotten to yet because as if I remember correctly, I think there is an instance where um, Zed is cured of the potion or it wears off or something like that, but it turns out he loves Rita for real. I, I think that that happened at some point. So maybe there's more business with another potion oh. or something. Yeah, maybe it's later in the season. That literally did not occur to me till just now. It's yeah, so, I mean, listeners, I swear I'm smart. Uh, no, look, uh, yeah, and look for people who are who are listening or watching. You know, I'm sure there's a range of levels of experience and and memories of the show, right? For people who have been rewatching it and reading about it and studying it, yeah, I'm sure you know all of the beats and and you know where we're <laughs> where we're misstepping here, but. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are others right. who, you know, maybe a little bit more casual or haven't gone back to it. And so maybe it sounds like we know a lot. So uh, we're here, here to have a good time either way. <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll keep an eye out, you know, maybe as, as we rewatch more episodes, we'll see uh, if and when uh, we, we get to what you're talking about here. But I feel like the, you know, the villains carry a lot of the story here, as do Alpha and Zordon. Uh, I, I will say it did genuinely make two things really made me laugh. The, the putties dancing at the wedding and Alpha... Uh, putting uh, hair and sunglasses and a mustache on Zordon genuinely made me laugh. I was, and again, that was another thing, just like Zordon singing. I had completely forgotten, but I was like, all right, that is pretty funny. So, uh, you know, at least we had that. I, I had forgotten about, well, yeah, it, it's funny as I had forgotten about that. Uh, but my first thought was like, that's so funny. Alpha had the first Snapchat filter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. I don't know. You know, overall, I felt like, you know, I would say generally when we get into the realm of a three part story, you really got to have a lot of story to justify three episodes. And, yeah, you know, the mutiny probably could have been two, um, but I I guess there was enough there that, that they can make it to three. The wedding really, yeah. I think, should have been two. I, that, I felt like it was getting quite tedious, especially since we weren't seeing the Rangers. And I was really, you know, <laughs> making note of like, I'm still not seeing them. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know, overall, overall enjoyable. Is, is there anything else that you wanted to say about either of these arcs or, or you know, any, anything that we didn't get to yet that you wanted to talk about? Um, you, you know, on, on the monster side of things, uh, you know, on the moon, I the more I thought about it when I was watching it, I was like, it just feels so like I love Lucy ish that I think as a kid, I didn't pick up on or care, but as an adult, I really appreciated like, you know, can you play the wedding March? It's like, well, if you hum a few bars, I might be able to take, you know, do it. And uh, like you said, the putties dancing, it's just so damn funny. But um, I, you know, it, 
so the the villain aspect of it, I thought was just, you know, as, as an adult, I appreciated it way more. It just, it was very funny and very, um, like you said, more engaging than the other stuff. Um, even though on the other side of things, it was cool to have all the monsters teaming up and showing up again. And, um, and, uh, and then, you know, the bulk and skull of it in <laughs> the, the wedding episodes, they get teleported to like, some like <laughs> somewhere else in Australia <laughs> where they have to fight a kangaroo or something. Um, <laughs> just, um, Oh, and one more thing that stuck with me was the upster extra fresh. Um, <laughs> you, you cut out there for a second, but, uh, but I know exactly what you're talking about when bulk and skull order. Yeah. The extra yeah. fresh lobster and it's a live lobster. Um, yeah. I've never been to Australia. I, I, took, <laughs> I, you know, I took that as the waitress messing with them, but yeah, please. I mean, let us know. <laughs> I'm just genuinely curious if it was like a prank by the waitress, if it was, uh, like just how it is in Australia or maybe it was just a joke that I'm way overthinking, but I don't know. Just both of them going extra fresh is also seared into my memory. <laughs> I well, I, I will say it was also funny when the Rangers were just kind of hanging out, uh, you know, it, the 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 bulk, no pun intended, of their conversation was about basically like, you know, busting Kimberly's chops for how much she's buying on this shopping spree. Yeah. And at one point, you know, someone says, like, oh, how are you going to get all of this back? And, you know, uh, Rocky's like, oh, you need a tugboat. And they all think that's like the funniest thing that they have ever heard. Like Jason in, or uh, Tommy in particular is like a tugboat. And he's like laughing his head yeah. off. Yeah. It's <laughs> that, you know, he said that and they all started laughing and, you know, I just had my, my gym moment, you know, from the office. I just looked at the invisible camera next to me and just went, well, that just happened, you know? <laughs> um, oh my gosh. But, you know, but, Clearly, Kimberly was very much the, the I don't remember her last name, but like Cher from Clueless, right? You know, that's essentially her character, uh, <laughs> where, you know, she was just, just that close to saying as if, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, the, I guess the last thing I would say, you know, not, not to harp on this, but actually to make a larger point about you know, when, when we see the Rangers morphed so much, uh, during the, the wedding arc and, and how, you know, kind of loses a little, a little something, you're still hearing their voices, right? So we have our actors are still performing the lines, but it's the stunt people in the costumes and kind of tying all of this together, talking about the writing, you know, the dialogue's not the best. It, you know, it's a lot yeah. of, <laughs> it's basically, you know, kind of takes one of two forms. It's either very, you know, practical and tactical like we're gonna go here we're gonna go there or what are we gonna do like all hope is lost no we got to stick together guys if we just work together we'll do it it's just like a lot of that over and over like why did alpha send us here i don't know we better trust him we better you know so the dialogue only gets you so far and when you don't have the the emotion of of of, you know what they're able to convey it again i think you just kind of hit a wall so again, to kind of put this in, into a positive, I think like the actors really did bring a lot to it because when you don't see their faces for an entire episode, it, it really kind of shows what, what, what value they bring, right? It goes beyond just like, Oh, hearing their voices delivering a line, you know, it's, it, it's really this, this whole other level. You know, it, what it really reminds me of is uh, a, 
an annoyance I, as a kid, used to have, and as I got older, kind of understood, like the the idea of having spy, every Spider Man has to, you know, rip his mask off at the final battle, right? Um, but it's important that you rip the mask off because now we can see what the the character is thinking and and feeling. You know, in same you know same thing with the Power Rangers, we can't see their faces. That makes it makes a gigantic difference. Um, I remember people on Twitter before uh, the Batman came out were going on and on saying, you know, wouldn't this look better? And it's always fan art of Batman's all the live action Batman with the the white eyes over. And and I love the way my friend uh, Bill Ramey has always said it, where he's like, no, he's like, nope, you, nope, that doesn't work at all. We gotta we we have to be able to see the character's eyes. We have to see the actor's eyes. And on that tangent for another second that I, I felt that watching the, the new, the Batman, like I felt the character, I felt the emotion coming from Robert Pattinson. He does a lot of acting with his eyes. Um, and so with the power Rangers, if we don't get to see their faces, the, the, the term I use all the time on my podcast the emotional reality gets lost and, and that, you know, obviously strikes a chord because here you are saying, you know, it it bothered me. I, you know, I could hear their voices, but that wasn't enough for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Speaking of your podcast for comic junkies, where, where can people find it? What would you want to tell people about it? Um, it it was uh, kind of a strange, not strange, but it was something where, there's all there's all these thoughts in my head about growing up uh, loving comic books, loving superheroes, loving all that stuff, and feeling like I, I love this for a reason. Again, there's an emotional reality to it. There's stuff that we can all relate to. And I felt that some podcasts I listened to weren't touching on those things. And I'd reach out to the hosts and say, hey, what about this? What about this? And people would just go, oh, that's cool. So I thought, I'll start my own. So four comic junkies, uh, F-O-R, not four, um, the number four, if anybody, nobody can see me. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, so it's, it's meant to be inclusive. So we all have these, we just had, you know, an almost like an hour and a half plus discussion about Power Rangers all these years later um, on your show. So clearly I wasn't alone feeling like these things matter. So that's why I started my podcast, uh, Four Comic Junkies, which you can find uh, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and I also have the uh, the Spider-Man Book Club, where we talk about different uh, Spider-Man books throughout the years, uh, as well as uh, the recent Marvel movies and Marvel news. Uh, every now and then that comes up. But uh, yeah, and that is also available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter at Four Comic Junkies. Awesome. Well, JJ, thank you very much. I, I really had a lot of fun talking about these episodes of Power Rangers. I, I know before we started, I was like, well, I don't know how long we'll go. You know, if we even hit an hour, it's like, and this is not the first time I've said this about various recordings and it's, uh, we, we never have a problem hitting it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was yeah. really a lot of fun. So, so thank you very much. And, uh, audience, thank you as always for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Make sure you come back next time for, uh, our next episode. And until then, Once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, 
Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.